listening to the Rainmaking Podcast. Hosted by high-stakes headhunter, author, and professional speaker, Scott Love. This is Scott Love, and thanks for joining me on the Rainmaking Podcast. Have you ever felt that you're not reaching your full potential, that something's holding you back? We're going to talk about how failing to get help often holds people back from reaching their full potential. And our guest today is Brett Trembley. Brett is the founder of the Trembley Law Firm, a franchise and business law firm in Miami. The firm has grown from one attorney in 2011 to 10 attorneys and 20 employees, and they represent some of the largest businesses in the eastern U.S. As an entrepreneur, he's learned a few things about innovative ideas and getting help that will help you to reach your full potential. He also created a business around that called Get Staffed Up, which is a virtual assistant staffing company that liberates lawyers and professionals with incredible offshore talent. I hope you get some great ideas from Brett today. So I've got with me on the Rainmaking podcast, our guest is Brett Trembley, who is an attorney. And today we're talking about why failing to get help holds professionals back. And Brett, thanks for joining us on the show today. Scott, thanks so much for having me. You know, I like when when people introduce me as an entrepreneur and then attorney. Oh, that's so, great. Oh, you, like yeah, you know, I, sometimes people <laughs> hear attorney and they think this is about to be really boring. Let me tune out. <laughs> well, entrepreneur is more exciting. An entrepreneur that happened that shows uh, the profession of law. That's great. Yep. That's and, exactly and so right. tell, us, uh, tell us about your journey, Brett. Help the audience get to know you when you graduated from high school Tell us about what you did from that point. How did you get to where you are today? And then we'll kind of talk more about this topic. Okay, that that far back, huh? (laughs) So I grew up in, I live in Miami, Florida, but I grew up in Albuquerque, New Mexico, believe it or not. It's a a smaller state, only about 1.5 million people. So the general reaction that I usually get is, oh, I've never met someone there before, from there before, (laughs) or, oh my gosh, Breaking Bad, I love that show. That's right, that's right. Those are are the two reactions. I went to college there as well, small school called Eastern New Mexico University. Absolutely loved it. I was student body president and and the whole thing. And then I went out to University of Miami School of Law and had three years in law school. Went, you know, I knew that I wanted to own a business. I didn't know if I wanted to be a lawyer, but I Mm -hmm. really enjoyed the legal education and moving to a big city. And there was just a, a, a lot of difference for me not really culture shock, but just environment shock. And I worked for a small litigation firm in South Miami for about three years before I said, it's time. I've always known that I was going to run my own business. I started making my own money as early as first grade when I would take my dad's pens from his jewelry store and and resell them. And and (laughs) my parents didn't even know where I was getting money from. One of my mom's favorite stories. So I, I did it. And the first Look, being a typical, you know, lawyers and and law students think very highly of themselves. Mm -hmm. You know, honestly, we've usually had good grades and we've had some achievements and you get into law school and and everyone tells you how great that is and how smart you are. And so we feel like we can take on the world and, and accomplish whatever we set out to do. And if you go to work at a big firm and your only job is to be a lawyer, then within a few years, you can get pretty good at being a lawyer. Right. When you decide to run a business, most attorneys just think, well, all I have to do is is be a lawyer, but it's not true. It's like running a restaurant and you're the hostess, the waiter, the dishwasher, the cook, and the owner, and you can't be all those things. And so that's really where 
you know, admittedly, I did, I did struggle and why now I talk to people about you can't do it all yourself and you got to get help. Well, that's, that's great. And I think a lot of it has to do with humility where people like you, you've done well, you've done some significant things. How do you manage that? How are you able to, well, first, let me ask you this from your experience. Tell me about your experience in with failing to get help. How have you gone through your career where you just chose not to do that? You didn't seek out help or solutions from other people. So when I started my law firm, I only knew a handful of people in Miami because the the deal with University of Miami is you got a bunch of people that moved down from the Northeast to get mm-hmm. into the sunshine for you know four years or three years in law school, and then they all moved back. And so you know, working at the small law firm, it was just being an attorney, I wasn't really networking. And so I went out on my own. I had three clients, a whopping three clients. I didn't have any family money. I had student loan debt and and credit card debt. And the nice thing about starting a business these days is for a lot of businesses, you just need a laptop. And so I got myself a small office, very inexpensive and a laptop. And I was off and running and, and people are always congratulating you for starting a business. It's like, yeah, you started a business, you know, you had the guts and you did it. I tell people starting a business these days is, is relatively easy. You just, you know, making the decision is not, but doing it is easy. You don't need the, the capital perhaps that you once did. It's growing a business or learning how to run a business and doing it you know, I mean, there's not only one right way, but figuring out your way of building a business. And mm-hmm. too many people, myself included, we try to do everything ourselves. And for the first three or so months, you're running on adrenaline and it's fun. And you want to stay up until midnight and you want to work on your, your website after hours and, and even things like doing your email signature seem exciting and, and you're <laughs> getting all these things, you know, in place and you have all these big dreams. And look, just to fast forward so people know, I now have a law firm with 10 attorneys, 23 staff members. It's a business franchise and litigation firm in Miami. We've been recognized as, as one of the fastest growing small law firms in the country. You know, Inc. 5000 qualifiers, you know, so it, it's not like I'm, I'm still now I've just hired one person and here I am on right. a podcast. Yeah, that's a big um, deal, Brett. That's a yeah. big deal. In addition, I am co-founder of a second business, which is almost Inc. 5000 qualifying in just over two years. And so I have, you know, I now practice what I preach. And through the staffing company, really, we, we preach, it's okay to not be able to do everything yourself. You have to get things off your plate. The only way to grow is by delegating. And what we say is delegate your way to freedom. So, and feel free to interrupt me, Scott. And sometimes right. on a podcast, I'm, I'm not used to talking about myself so much. You know, I'm also right. used right. to asking questions, but my first two years in the law firm back in 2011 and 12 and early 13, I was trying to do everything myself and I, I just wasn't growing and I couldn't figure out why the whole world wasn't knocking down my door to do work with me, why I didn't have a $100 million business in two months. Again, it's, it's kind of the humility. You first have to realize that your ego is getting in the way before you can even say, aha, I need to kind of humble myself. I'm not perfect. I'm not, you know, so great. I've never run a business like this before, even if I had had some entrepreneurial endeavors in the past as a kid. It was the, I don't know everything, but I didn't even realize that I just thought I knew everything. Right. Kind of moment for me where things started to change. Let me ask you this, Brett. I love that quote, delegate your way to freedom. 
when was it that that was your aha moment? That sounds like it was a big revelation for you. What took place in your life to where you realized you had to just delegate your way to freedom? I finally signed up for a coach and I'm a big believer in coaching. I'm a, a believer that you're not, even when you have a, a huge successful business, I mean, in the, in the coaching industry, even coaches have coaches. It's like, you know, you don't know everything yourself. Get some outside help and some perspective And I I finally, so my big thing was my fear of failure. I had to learn through reading and and really I started diving into business books like crazy. Thankfully, I read Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. Mm -hmm. He talks about, you know, the the seven kind of deadly sins and, and one of them is the fear of failure. I was so afraid, Scott, that if I hired someone and then I couldn't pay them and I had to fire them, that the whole world was going to point their finger and say, oh, what a loser. You know, that guy failed. You know, ha ha, let's point the finger at him. And so many millions of people, and you can say all business owners is like, it's especially in the service, you know, business, you could take lawyers, you can take CPAs, you, you can take, you know, even doctors and chiropractors, they get their one assistant. And then it's, it's those two people, their whole lives. And the rationale is, well, you know, I only want to work with, with people I want to work with. So therefore, I must have to stay small. I had someone tell me that the other day. I had a chance to grow my business, but I decided to only take the cases I wanted to take as if that were the only option ever, right? Mm-hmm. And so there's, there's a mindset issue there. And mine was, I didn't realize that the world is too busy worrying about themselves and trying to make a life and a living for themselves to worry about me so much. The world doesn't revolve around any one of us. Right. And I was terrified of, of not being successful and then taking away all of the praises that I had been showered with of congratulations of starting your own business. So I could still be me and, and one maybe paralegal and still have people say, oh, you know, Brett has his own law firm and that kind of makes you feel good. But I didn't realize that the fear of failure, what was really holding me back, I was terrified of spending money I didn't have. Mm. I thought you had to have, you know, 20 grand, 30 grand built up in the bank before you could hire someone when all you really need to do is cover each week. And by the the amount of time they will free up for you, you make that money back tenfold and then you do it again. So let me ask you, in your delegating, are these people that you've done as full-time employees, part-time 1099 or offshore? What, What have you done in your experience? So I grew my law firm to almost 20 people you know, here in the US full time Mm -hmm. before I ever discovered the concept that you can hire people all over the country now, thanks to technology. Right. So I wish that I had known about this sooner. And that's why I, you know, I really like meeting the, the young kind of open-minded attorney who's, who's like I was, I should say business owners. The company's called Get Staffed Up. We do offshore staffing full time, call them virtual assistants, but we work with with everyone across business, all types of different business owners who want to hire, but it's daunting to to try to find somebody good and to not worry about losing them all the time. Because let's face it, if you're paying someone eight, nine, ten dollars an hour, even fifteen, that's not really a living wage. So that person always has one foot in, one, one foot out, looking right. for a better opportunity for their families, like they should. Nobody's put on this earth to just be our servant forever. They need to work for their purposes. And so when I talk now about delegating, 
there are better ways to delegate early on so that you're not so stressed out about taking on that overhead. I like what you just said, Brett. They need to work for their purposes. Tell me about that. What was it in your life as a manager when you're managing other people that you really discovered that they're working for them and not you as they work for you? I don't know. That wasn't an aha moment on that end. But I think just opening my mind and reading the business books and becoming the type of person that people want to be around and want to work for and with, you know, eventually, I don't know, somebody mentioned that and it really resonated with me. Your employees are there because they want to work and, and hopefully they believe in your mission and you've created good core values, but they're not working for you. They're working for themselves or else they wouldn't be there. And that's part of, of what too many people, you know, they have a bad experience with, with an employee and now it's really convenient and trendy to just, oh, millennials are terrible. It's right. like, well, yes, our, our number one problems or challenges as a business owner will always be our staff and our employees because they're humans and we all have issues and we need time off and there's pregnancies and, and deaths and vacations and sickness and it's just a part of it. But you have to realize that you've offered those people an opportunity to work. And if they accept, then they need to fulfill their duties. But you can't expect them to stick around while you're not working to build a better business to promote those people and pay them more and help improve their lives. So you probably said about five or six things that I think each of them we could write a book about. Uh, One of them was, you said, become the kind of person that they want to be with. What do you mean by that exactly? What does that mean to you? You and I probably know a lot of people, Scott, that are well-meaning, but that just complain and, and I can't find good people. I can't find good help. And at the end of the day, you got to look in the mirror and say, why can't I? Why am I not attracting the kind of people that are going to make me happy to go to work and interact with? What is it about my company, about my attitude? Do I micromanage? Do I not give enough help? Do I let my mood swings affect how I talk to my my employees or my team members? I mean, delegation, I talk about delegate rate of freedom, but it's not that simple. You know, first of all, you need to make the decision to delegate. But second of all, you got to have good systems in place so that your team members know what they're responsible for. Here are the five things I need to do every day. And if I do them and I do them well, I'm successful. 95% of people don't have any type of measurements in place or what we call scorecards for measuring their own employees. And that's not a negative thing. The employee is dying to know that what they're doing is, is helpful, not just that they're busy. Busy work doesn't move the needle. And so, you know, that's what I mean. Busy work doesn't move the needle. I love it. So uh, let's talk about this scorecard. And I, and I like how this really kind of fits under the topic of asking for help, getting help, delegating. What I want to do, I want to come back to learning more about your staffing company because I think the people listening on the show could benefit from that. And we'll even put those links on the show notes here. But tell me about the scorecard. Tell me more about that. If I'm a manager, uh, regardless of my business, let's say I'm an attorney, small business, large firm, or small firm, large firm, it doesn't matter. I've got people that work for me. How can I create scorecards that keep track of that? And how can I communicate that to my employees as I give them the work and the scorecard? I would love to. So I'll, I'll try to keep this you know, relatively short and straightforward. Literally, it's like a report card in grade school. You write down the subject and you're, and you're grading. In this case, you want to put, you know, for example, on the left side, 
let's take a, a marketing assistant because everyone, as entrepreneurs, okay. we all have a million ideas before, before breakfast, right? right? But we don't have anyone to delegate to. So those ideas just sit on a shelf, you know, mental or physical, and they never get done. So let's say you, you said, you know what? I'm never going to get more marketing done unless I delegate. So let me bring someone in. You can bring in an outside company that'll do, I don't know, a few posts per month and some quote unquote management for $2,000 a month, right? None of us are unfamiliar with the companies asking you for basically about two grand a month to do some very light social media work and, and maybe even e-newsletters and stuff. Or like just for example, through us, for the same price, you can get a full-time virtual assistant who only does marketing. And on the scorecard, you say, I want you to, to add 50 contacts on LinkedIn per week. I want you to comment on 15 posts per week. And I want you to put up one post per day on LinkedIn about something we do. So now you just created three measurable items. You take those three, you multiply them. Same three for Facebook, same three for Twitter, same three for Instagram. So now you've got, I don't know, about 60 social media touch points. Wow. Just and it's probably only going to take 10 hours. And that's already way more than another company would do. Okay. Per week, I want one newsletter to go out to my existing clients about another type of service we offer. Per month, I want one newsletter to go out and you're going to have to provide templates and it'll take a little bit of time to ramp up. But I want one or two newsletters per month to go out to my entire contact list so I can be a thought leader because I'm, I'm going to blog. And you know, for example, I'll write a few blogs per month. You put them in the newsletter. I want to interview one person a month and I want you to take that, that video interview that I can do via Zoom and I want you to put it all over social media. Side note, we've got a document that from one even 60 second interview, you can come up with 32 pieces of social media content. For example, yeah, these are the types of things that you load up the scorecard and there's a lot more examples that I could give because you, you could, you know, give me contacts list for every rotary club in the state and then send them my speaker profile sheet mm -hmm. that I want you to create and get me five speaking gigs over the next, you know, five months. I mean, the list is endless. Marketing is endless. So it depends on what you want on your scorecard item and how you as a business owner want to market. But the point is that that employee is going to feel so good at the end of each week knowing they accomplished all those things. Imagine that compared to what most of us do is every morning, hey, you know what? I want to start speaking at Rotary Clubs. Figure it out. And then the next day, they think that's what they're going to work on. And then you're like, hey, I need some social media posts to go out today. Most of us, and I'm not criticizing here because I also was this way one time. This was all of us used to just manage by whatever was on my mind at the time. And it's, it's simply a feeling recipe. Those are a lot of insights you've just shared with us, Brett. Let me ask you, with this marketing, you mentioned that there was a marketing document you have. Is that right? Yeah. And do you want us to put that on the show notes or we could put your email on there as well and people can email you for it? How do you want us yeah, to handle I'm, that? I'm happy to share that if, if people want to That's email great. us. Yeah, yeah thank it, you. Yeah, absolutely. This is fantastic. So how do you communicate these tasks to your employee? What have you learned from your experience in giving them and directing them? What, what are some tips you'd have in that area? A few. And by the way, you said we're talking about a lot. We're trying to cram a lot into 30 minutes, Scott. So, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, feel free to cut me off or direct me. No, but, we'll, we'll have you back on on another topic. Yeah, this no, is I, great. I would love to. I love talking about this kind of stuff. 
Daily huddles are one of the best things I've ever done for my businesses. Having daily huddles, I love it. Yeah. So every morning at 9 02 a.m., the entire team comes together. And when you grow too big, you got to separate into teams. But on Zoom now, because we're all virtual, of course, all of us for both companies, and you give a quick update what you accomplished the day before, what you're working on today, and maybe where you're stuck, what you need help with. And we end each, each person ends with, and today's going to be a great day. The alignment, I know it sounds corny to some people, and that's okay. If you, if you want to poo-poo the idea, then, then fine. But I'm telling you, the people that buy in, they love huddles, and they're, they're happier at work that day. And you yeah. end on a positive note, and now everyone doesn't lose touch with what's going on in the rest of the company. So that, that's a main part of it. And then you want to have daily check-ins with, with each one of your each one of the people in your department, right? Because right, you can't right. talk to like 30 people every day. So a good 90-minute weekly meeting within your department to outline issues, solve issues, and create to-dos for the next week, along with daily check-ins to make sure people aren't stuck. That kind of meeting rhythm will help your company move faster than almost anything else I can think of. That's great. I mean, you just gave us an MBA right here in five minutes in terms of management. <laughs> Well, it's a lot of learning condensed in, into a few snippets, but so you've you've been through a lot here, Brent. I always admire people that that learn how to go forward. They make mistakes, they recalibrate, they come back a little bit stronger and wiser. What would you say are some books that you've read that have helped you to really uh, stretch and grow in business? What are the top two or three books? You mentioned Think and Grow Rich, which is a classic. I like yeah. reading that one every few years. You know, it kind of reminds me of things that I need to pay attention to. What are some others that have helped you? Exactly. I like that, I like that you said that, Scott, because rereading books is sometimes one of the best things you, you can do. E-Myth and E-Myth Revisited, I mean, that's also a classic. I'm sure people already know about that one. There's one called, I think it's called The 22 Immutable Laws of Branding, one of the best business books I've ever read. And one recently, which is almost like an unfair advantage. I almost feel that that 1% of me that I'm an abundance guy now and I want to help everyone, but that 1% of me that's still competitive, I almost hate mentioning this book because it's so good, but it's called 80-20 Sales and Marketing by Perry Marshall. I mean, I listened to it on Audible and then I bought it and I marked it up and and if all you did was, was read that book every day and then just take massive action, you would grow a business very quickly. I wish that's all I did. I'm trying to get to the point in, in my businesses where that's all I do. It, it's really that good. That's great. I'm definitely going to look at that book. I appreciate that recommendation, Brett. And tell me again about your staffing company. Kind of give us kind of a commercial, if you will. The people that are listening, what can you offer them? What are the solutions that you offer them with your staffing company? Thank you, Scott. Look, we all have, have bad experiences with employees and people come and go and, and especially at your, your entry level positions because it's just a hard position to fill and a hard position to keep and it's hard to have reliable people there. So what we figured out, me and my business partner, is that if you take those positions and you hire someone in another country, and by the way, this includes people that answer your phones. We have lots of clients that have a full-time receptionist through us that's, mm -hmm. that's in another country. It's very simple nowadays. When the phone rings, it's answered and you're only a transfer away, just like if they were in the same office from you. But we have three offerings. We call them virtual assistants, but these aren't your typical like Upwork project type. These are full-time team members that work for you. We have a very intense 
screening process, only 5% of people that apply to work with us ever make it through. They are your full-time employee once they're matched with you and your business, but you pay us and we pay them. So we're, mm-hmm. we're, we're preventing you from paying the overhead. We're, we're shielding you from, from legal issues. We're paying the taxes. We're, we're, we're complying with all the complicated laws that each country has where we, we pull people from. And the three positions we place are clerical virtual assistants, meaning, you know, like administrative tasks, calendaring, et cetera. The next one is administrative virtual assistants, somebody that can be on the phone, they can set appointments, they can do follow-ups. They're just someone that you would trust to be on the phone. And the accent is almost neutral, by the way. I know people always have that question. And then the third is the marketing virtual assistant, which I've already mentioned, can really provide a, a huge, I mean, you can you can quadruple your marketing output if you have a full-time person. But when you have a full-time person domestically like I did that's costing you 60000 plus, you're constantly wondering about the return because so much of marketing doesn't work because you have an idea, you try it, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. So when you get someone offshore, for example, and you're paying us about 20000 a month, suddenly you have the wherewithal to try everything out and you're, and you're not just so worried about... And, you know, coming full circle, most people fail to get help, I think, because they're afraid like I was of how much it costs and can I pay and can I afford it? That's a mindset issue. But it's also a fact that, you know, you just need a little bit of help, but you don't want to pay right. someone $50,000. And so... And Brett, let me ask you, you mentioned paying yeah. you guys 20000 a month. Was that a different... No, 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 no. No, say? a year. Okay. A year. That's, that's what I thought. <laughs> a little bit of a difference. I'm like, yeah. I can go to work for you, man, if I can make 20000 a month doing... Yeah, uh, me too. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to put your links on our show notes here because I know that people listening here will definitely probably want to jump on that. Uh, and Brett, kind of summarize, what are three action steps people can take today to integrate some of the ideas and to, to go forward on some of the ideas that you shared? So the first thing is get a coach. And I, I said this earlier, but even Michael Jordan had a coach. Michael Jordan never said, I've already won some championships. Let me just coach myself now. It just doesn't work that way. Even when you have a growing business and you've been successful, you need an outside perspective from somebody who's been there before who can point things out to you that you're missing. We all have blind spots and they will help you not only with tactical issues, but also help you from backsliding. Because I have seen a lot of businesses go from startup to about the million, million and a half. And then suddenly they know everything. Now their ego comes back into play. They're financially comfortable now, which is a great feeling for sure. But then they backslide and and there's no more growth for the next few years. So, or or ever until they realize, you know what, it's not about, it's, there's not a finish line. So that takes me to point number two, having a growth mindset. I talked to somebody the other week that I asked him, Hey, are you going to come back to this program? And he said, no, I look at it like as if you go to college four years and then you graduate. And I think that's the opposite of a growth mindset. You're never done learning in business. You're just, there's not a finish line where you know everything. You know, you have to continually push yourself and reach outside of yourself. And if you don't adopt and keep a growth mindset, then I think that's going to be a huge problem for you. And the third thing is don't cover your eyes. And what I mean by that is, the other morning, my two and a half year old son, he was, I heard him pitter patting through the room and I was like, what is he doing? And I said, I said, Bentley. And, I, and he turns around and he thought I caught him doing something. He was holding a bag of candy that he climbed up on the counter himself to get. So he, dro- <laughs> he drops the candy, but he freezes 
and he puts his hand over his eyes for a few <laughs> minutes and then he runs away with his hands over his eyes. And I found him five minutes later still hiding. And it's like, isn't that so funny? Most of us business owners, when there's a problem, we'd rather not look at it. It's like literally putting your hands over your eyes and refusing to look at the issue or not looking at your bank account because you're so afraid of what's in operating. I remember those days very clearly. Sure. You know, just have, you can be positive, but don't ignore reality. Have the guts to not cover your eyes and really find out the truth and the numbers and what's going on in your business. That's going to give you the confidence to make decisions that go along with, with your growth mindset. And it's going to put you on the path to success. Well, Brett, thank you so much for being a guest on the show today. You gave all of us some great content. To the people listening, I'd recommend that you take actions on those. And we'll put the links to your company and some of the other resources on the show notes here. And hopefully some people can reach out to you, Brett. And I'm sure we'll have you back on here in the future, in the near future, about some other business-related ideas. Scott, I hope so. I really enjoyed today. Thank you so much for having me. Yes, thank you for being here, Brett. Thank you for listening to the Rainmaking Podcast. For more information about our recruiting services for international law firms, visit our website at attorneysearchgroup.com. To inquire about having Scott speak at your next convention, conference, sales meeting, or executive retreat, visit therainmakingpodcast.com. Thank you.